0: Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. I knew I was grown up when I had to pay for my own food on family vacation.
1: When I moved out of state and I didn't have a security blanket anymore.
2: The day we signed the papers
3: for our first house. I knew I was a grown up when I had to start buying my own groceries. When I was proposed to by my husband. When I moved out of my parents' house.
0: I'll never forget the day I got my driver's license, I felt an incredible
2: sense of freedom and independence.
0: Well, I wonder when you first felt like you're all grown up. Uh, We've all experienced certain situations or rite of passage moments where we realize I'm part of the adult world. But what about (laughs) your kids? Do they know what being a grown up is? And as a parent, are you intentionally getting them ready for adulthood? These are important questions that we're going to be talking about today on Focus on the Family. Your host is Focus president and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. The transition from childhood
1: to adulthood can be one of the more challenging stages that families will experience. It's almost like we can look back and go, I knew exactly where I was when I felt like Uh, the adult, or with your kids, I knew exactly when they felt like an adult, right? As your kids enter the teen years, attention begins to build. They want more independence, but you still want them to follow the rules and uh, keep up with the things like homework and chores and Hmm. stuff like that. Did you have that experience? Oh, yes, yes. Oh, my goodness. Did we go, we got stir crazy. (laughs) Is your homework done? I got an A on the test, Uh Dad. Isn't that enough? (laughs) Well, your teen uh, may start pulling away, and that's a good thing to a degree because they need to establish their own identity and beliefs and certainly faith apart from yours. Uh, But that process can be hard to go through. And to be honest, some families navigate this transition better than others. And it's not uncommon for parents and teens to kind of battle over the expectations and control at that point. Here's the thing, how you manage those battles will shape the relationship with your child in the years to come. So today on Focus on the Family, we want to give you some great tools that will help you and your teen begin to work through the transition into adulthood
0: in healthy and effective ways. Yeah, we're featuring a conversation with Dr. Ken Wilgus. Uh, He's a psychologist, author, speaker, and podcast host, and he's written a a really intriguing, helpful book. It's called Feeding the Mouth That Bites You, (laughs) a complete guide to parenting adolescents and launching them into the world. Learn more about the book and other parenting help at uh, focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast, or give us a call 800-the letter A in the word family. And Jim, here's how you began the conversation with our guest on Focus on the Family. Dr. Wilgus, welcome to Focus. Thanks. It's
1: great
3: to be here. Now I'm going to call you you Ken. That'd be great, yeah. (laughs)
1: But I love it. Okay, the first question has to be, where'd you get feeding the mouth that bites you?
3: Okay, that comes from a quote by an author named Peter DeVries, who in one of his books says, sometimes parenting is nothing more than feeding the mouth that bites you. (laughs) And it it has uh, been a title of a seminar for 25 years and it's the statement that parents of teenagers completely resonate with Mm. they totally know that it's so true isn't it and it can change from day to day i mean
1: some days it's great and you and your spouse usually talk about that oh i had a great discussion with our teenager
3: today right he actually said something other than "mm, yeah uh right right absolutely when they're little you know, they follow us around. But oh, and by talk, adolescence, we've become like groupies, and they're the rock stars. And we're like, do you want to talk? we got time. And no, i got to go. Okay,
1: so you believe parents have confusing relationship with their teens today. Why is that? Why are we confused?
3: Well, you know, what's really interesting is I remember it probably was the first class I took in adolescent psychology. And that's where they first announced that, well, as you know, adolescents as we understand them, that concept is about 100 years old. And the term adolescent... Uh, or teenager was first used in ni- about 1941. Now, that was a very weird experience for me. That's like going to study to be an ear, nose and throat specialist and finding out in the first day that, you know, 100 years ago, no one had noses. And we didn't use the word <laughs> nose till after about World War II. You're like, w- what are we talking about? Yeah, that's really recent. Well, it is. It's a post-Industrial Revolution creation, whereas basically it comes down to that we're a culture that for three or four generations has forgotten the reality that childhood comes to a natural end by about the age of 13. And then after that, parenting is what I call parenting adults in training, which is preparing for that release. And as you know, we're not doing a great job. I think it was around after World War II that we finally made the mistake of snapping adolescence on the end of childhood rather than where it should be, which is at the beginning of adulthood.
1: It is amazing. Let's sit for a moment on this idea of parents not launching well. What do you mean by that? And how you know? what are some ways that we launch better we as end up with parents a, of teens?
3: Yeah, well, you end up with a weird concept that – Now that it's been going on, the things that I'm teaching parents, their parents didn't really do this, and their grandparents didn't really do this. There wasn't a lot of talk. uh, There was, you know, more privilege, we'll let you take the car, we'll let you stay out later. But the idea of the real um, nuts and bolts of hearing, listen, son or sweetheart, that's no longer up to us. You need to answer that question for yourself. That's like rarely talked about. But it is traditionally always been the case. It's within the last hundred years that we've forgotten how to do that. So Parents now don't really know They think they're being traditional By hanging on as long as possible Sometimes they even think they're being Christian By hanging on as long as possible But that's actually newfound That's not actually ancient So the
1: Industrial Revolution And all the modernity has brought with it um, How do we dial back as parents? Give me some practical examples Of where I need to dial back
3: maybe. Well probably the biggest difference is that you know There were cultures in the past Where by about 13 or 14 You're kind of ready to get going uh, The culture agriculture Fourteen. Yes, that's for a key example, thing to hear. in Romeo and Juliet, that's a story of a thirteen-year-old girl and a fourteen-year-old boy. They're mm. old enough to run off and get married and to be held accountable for murder. That one didn't end that. so well. No, if it I didn't, recall. and that's what we're trying to avoid in this time. Well, it's true, but in our more modern time, our thirteen, fourteen-year-olds are not ready really to live on their own. So what's missing there is this period of essentially training, and that in the eighteenth century was done with apprenticeships and so forth. But we've started trying to basically continue on parenting childhood right on through to 18, 20. You might have read the recent story of a man in New York who's 30, whose parents were suing to get him out of the house. And you just think, what are we doing here? So the parents haven't experienced this either. Hmm. And so it seems odd to be really releasing and sometimes scary. Well, and uh, speak to that dynamic of
1: being a willing parent to say, okay, at 13, I'm going to give you more
3: decision-making capacity? I think one of the basics that it comes down to is fear. And this is, of course, important since the vast majority of parents that I work with are Christian parents, and I don't think there's any command given more common throughout Scripture than fear not. And so um, it actually feels like... I'm doing the right thing. I'm more um, involved, I'm more uh, knowledgeable parent, when in fact, what you have is a fearful parent that just uh, control comes from fear and over control comes from uh, almost irrational fear. So things like letting go of lesser things can seem like I'm not doing my job and I need to do what's right. And too often you end up just kind of looking silly, you know, like parents that tell a 17-year-old, you're not allowed to listen to anything but Christian music. Unless you're Amish, you are kidding yourself because there are devices that they are listening to whatever they want to listen
1: to. Well, we want to get into that uh, today and next time because there are things that you're fooling yourself, and we're going to identify that. Now, some people, there's going to be a variety of parenting application here. Mm -hmm. Um, Some households will be okay in that regard, but for the 80 percent, it's going to be different. Well, there's and, usually
3: different reactions. A, a number of people read the book and say, okay, I hadn't said it the way you said it, but that's kind of what we're doing. And it's right. encouraging to know, is that the main line? Yeah. And then some, however, are kind of stunned by the whole thing.
1: That's true. Let me go back to something that I think maybe the question of the program, mm-hmm. if I could be that bold. Um, Because I experience it, too, um, that parental fear. Uh, You say some of the most fearful parents you know are actually devout Christians. Why is there this connection between the devout Christian parent and this fear and control in the child rearing experience? Why this
3: dichotomy? I think part of it is that, you know, the Christian parents that I work with are very involved with their children. And so I don't have to do a lot of reminding these parents to be involved. So that ditch, they're not going to go off into of the kind of ignoring their children. But there's a ditch on the other side of the road, which is I'm over controlling, trying too hard. So part of it is compassion and real involvement. That's a good thing. But the other part is failure to recognize that parenting teenagers is also part of our own sanctification. It's a spiritual process of learning to really, we say that we know God's loving power over us but there's nothing scarier than saying okay here's the car and we'll see you in a few hours and and (laughs) actually believe that that's actually going to happen
1: i love that moment when trent got his license and we got home from the dmv and he came in the house with me and we sat around for a minute i said you gonna go anywhere (laughs) he goes can i i said yeah just go I noticed I just want, that, it was like, you know, kicking him out of the nest a little that bit. That wasn't his mother saying that. He that just used you. Yeah, he yeah, just, yeah, yeah. yeah, it wasn't his mother. was <laughs> yeah. yeah. she was hitting me in the ribs. Yeah. If he wants to Are stay at home, let him stay at home. <laughs> What's wrong with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was kind of that, you know, first breath of independence, right? And it's a good thing. It's a good thing, but we do struggle with it. If I were to take a self-assessment that you have not created, nor has focus on the family. But we should. But we should. What would be one or two questions as a parent that would indicate that i'm over controlling here that this is an area of fear for me that i'm not capable of letting them own some
3: things? Well, the first would have to be what I call the big question, which all parents really need to take some time to think about, which is when will you as a parent say that your child is completely an adult? When will you say they are completely <laughs> so ready So never for is
1: not a good answer. It's not, you can answer that,
3: but you get 10 points off. You get 10 yeah, points yeah. off. It, but that's really the Just really of it, thinking right? about when are you mm. going to be done is worth thinking about because a number of parents have never really thought that through. Yeah. So that would be number one. Number two would probably be when did you as a an adult know that you were an adult and how did you know that? So a the certain yeah. amount of self assessment. And then number three would be what steps have you planned to take to get from here to the end of parenting? And that's basically the outline of, of how to feed them out that bite you. And that's
1: you. what's great, yeah, feeding them out that bite you. You cover all that material. God created teenagers. At least I think so. <laughs> I've, I've heard <laughs> so, different, but I think you're right. But how, what is his
3: uh, expectation of a teenager? I think his expectation for teenagers is way higher than parents often think. Yeah. Uh, I really do think God In sees one way. them. Um, for one thing, they've reached formal operational thought. And uh, it's really important that teenagers really start to think about their relationship with God separate from what their parents say. And so it's essential that we need to know that God is speaking to them, God is expecting them to respond, and simply kind of being passive participants in what our family does was fine when you're eight. But not when you're 16, 15. I think God expects teenagers to really begin to wrestle with hard questions. And they do, the hard questions of faith.
0: How much of that uh, that fear that Jim asked about earlier, how much of what you just described is part of the fear? My child is going to struggle and wrestle and they may not come up with the same answers that I did or that I want them to.
3: That's absolutely, and it's critical because depending upon what research you look at, 60 to 80% of high school-involved active Christian teenagers will completely drop off the spiritual map when they leave home. And so it's essential that parents really start early, 13, 14, saying, hey, I really liked the sermon this morning, but what did you think? Do you agree with that stuff? What do you—to actually signal that as parents, we get it, that we can't make you think the same way we do.
0: And there is some research that shows that a lot of times those kids who walk away from the faith or go kind of dark on their faith do come back. About a
3: third of them will come back. But it's still not a great uh, percentage. We're looking to increase that. And I think that respecting a teenager's Mm -hmm. ability to make those decisions is a critical factor to keep them in the faith.
0: This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment.
4: My favorite thing about Brio is that you can actually absorb stuff from it and learn. Reaching teen girls right where they're at, with encouragement to grow in their faith. The stories in the Brio magazine about other people that have gone through things way worse than I have is really inspiring and uplifting. Help your teen invite God into her everyday experience with Brio Magazine. Learn more at com slash brio radio.
1: Hi, Jim Daly here. Today's culture deeply needs help, but in times like these, the light of Christ can shine even brighter. So be encouraged to share his light in this broken world. Listen to the Refocus with Jim Daly podcast. Without time limitations, I'll have deep, heartfelt discussions with fascinating guests who will encourage you to share God's grace, truth, and love. Check out the podcast at refocuswithjimdaily.com or wherever you
0: get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming.
1: Ken, speak to the idea of planned emancipation, which is really the theme of feeding the mouth that bites you. How you can help plan the emancipation of your teenager. What's that
3: general... You could could practically title the book Planned Emancipation, really. That's really what it's about, which is um, getting ahead of the curve, knowing that by 13, your teenager uh, needs and needs to need to be out on their own eventually. So you get out ahead of it, and in an orderly, rational fashion, you give over that freedom uh, in reasonable stages. Now, with freedom always comes responsibility. So by letting go of one thing, you also leave them to their own consequences of the things that they're uh, doing. My favorite is always uh, the easy one is music, that you can give a teenager Um, you now have the freedom. It's up to you to make your own decision about music. What you listen to, that's between you and God. However, if your little sister is caught on your phone listening to some of that stuff, then you're going to lose your phone for a day. You need to make sure. That's just true of any adult. You have to be held responsible for your own behavior. So um, freedom carries responsibility with it. And then this is, to your point, by letting go of that, it should allow and does allow for what often never happens, which is a parent really being able to say, can I look at your playlist? Do you mind if I just ask you about, doesn't this bug you on a Sunday morning listening? To and again, it's not... I'm not telling you you can't, but can we talk about that?
1: Huh. And really have some substantive And in that context, you're saying you get more opportunity and more open heart Absolutely. from your teenager if they've mm. been if able they to. If they believe you. If it, they believe yeah. that
3: you really aren't going to step right. back and, and go, okay, And you've demonstrated
1: that you've let them have some That's decision-making right. authority. Let's further uh, illuminate that emancipation idea. You have a, uh, I think you call it the word picture of how planned emancipation works. It's kind of a country with different states.
3: Describe it. Well, just picture a map, basically, with a large sort of continent divided into states. And this is the uh, sovereign nation of your kid, Brandon, uh, you know, whoever. And it's divided into these discrete areas that are might be school, uh, clothing, money, uh, different aspects of that, that require control. And you start looking at that by what teenagers look at is um, how much of my territory is occupied by your armies? Your troops <laughs> are on my stuff. Oh, that's, why, that's why kids, teenagers are really bothered by, um, it, you know, like a teenager, parents are always stunned by Dr. We asked him, do you have homework? And he said, no. But guess what? He He did. did. As if, you know, that's a big stunner. That's never happened to my house. Yeah, which is great. (laughs) I think that's great. But for the rest of us. So you're saying that's the wrong question? They they don't even care. They're not even – they don't even feel guilty. It's more like you shouldn't be in this territory in the first place. And I don't actually feel bad about – basically, that's passive uh, resistance to this occupying army, which is you shouldn't be looking at my school stuff anyway.
0: That is really funny. So you want
3: to make your way out of those territories
0: that's kind of their statement of I can do this. Uh,
3: it, even if even if they're failing <laughs> well, something. Well, that's it the question Ken.
0: So a lot of parents are saying, yeah, well, school, guess what?
3: That's how important the autonomy need is. You know, when you try to talk what parents would think reasonably, honey, you're failing algebra. So we're going to step in, okay? You don't get a teenager who goes, "Okay, she may have to, may not have a better answer. She still doesn't like it." Jr. should because, we step in? Uh, you know, the question there has more to do with uh, the details of how you set up Um, what kind of freedom you're giving. And that's all laid out in the book. You Mm -hmm. can start by backing away from micromanaging, but you still have to maintain minimum grades. You can do it different ways that, again, I think parents do a better job of rationally stepping out in reasonable chunks rather than this, fine, you do it yourself, Hmm. pass or fail. You don't have to go that far. All right.
1: The young adults have been sitting here listening to this. Let's tap them to ask you some questions that we haven't covered yet. That'd be great. So are we ready for that, everybody? All right. We've got one. Come on up.
2: Hello, I'm John. I'm from South Dakota. And listening to Dr. Ken's little spiel here, you had talked about um, the different states um, and how parents can invade different states of our being, I guess. And you talked about the financial state. And I have a friend in college who has been given freedom in the fact that his parents are paying for his college, but his parents don't know where to cut the financial security, as in where do you cut the gas, where do you cut food, where do you cut living. So I just wanted you to speak to maybe just content of financially, where do you cut your child loose to launch him successfully?
3: Now, that's a great question because what ends up happening is that when we talk about the freedoms, sometimes it sounds like I'm advocating just letting everything go. But when it comes to uh, post Uh, high school support, when it comes to limit setting, I think parents need to be pretty clear. For example, it's not terribly good for most students to be given enough money that you don't have to work at all and you have plenty of extra money. It actually is good for most college students to need about 10 to 15 hours worth of work to... Fill in the gap for their expenses. And then secondly, I think it's most important that parents be real clear. This is what we're providing. As I call it, uh, when you send a kid to college, your most parents become a benevolent bank. It's like, you know, under these circumstances, we will pay for this amount and be real clear about it. uh, So that a college kid can really know this is what I can count on. And this is what I have to figure out for myself. Sure. So if that's what you're talking about, I think clarity is really important and making sure, frankly, that it's not too much.
1: Ken, sometimes that plan, it just needs to be talked through. Right. And it's not a lack of desire. Right. It's, I think, just... Ignorance. We I just great hadn't thought the about it. The money part ourselves. We right.
3: just we get kind of tongue tied when it comes to talking. But here's what that. you need to
1: be thinking that's right. about. That's right. What we'll cover in college or whatever you're going to do, and what we where we're going to cut you off. That's right. And we've done a little bit of that with the, you know teenage gas allowance and that kind of thing for school. We cover school gas, but that's it because we live about 20 miles from school. That so is a big deal. A, that creates a little bit of a burden for them. So we cover that amount, but all is joy writing That's got to come from a different pocket.
3: Do they still joyride? Is that even know. a thing? I don't know.
2: But it's a good I point. would if gas was unlimited. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You'd be yeah.
1: joyriding coast to coast. Yeah, we See, do. That
2: was that was one of the big things for me, like getting to college and having gas be on my own. It was like, well, I can't just take a six-hour drive to Kansas City right. and, and catch a football game. You know, like that's coming out of my own pocket. So that changes was a, your decision. Yeah, yeah, it, really yeah it really does. It really does.
3: All right.
4: Um, Hi, I'm Erica. I'm from Indiana. um, And I really enjoyed hearing you speak about the practical ways of launching um, and of being launched. I was wondering if you could speak to how to redefine that emotional
3: relationship as, you know, we're growing up and learning how to have an adult relationship with our parents and how much we share and how much communication goes on there. That is a really good question, probably because you're fairly close to at least one of your parents. Um, It actually can be a problem in a way, if you're really close to one of your parents, to shift into a point where uh, how do we be close as adults rather than what we used to? For example, believe it or not, part of being a close, good child is you get that gut feeling that if something's gone wrong, if I can just go talk to mom or dad, it'll be okay. Well, mm-hmm. that's actually not so true in adolescence. They, first of all, you know what they're going to say in most of what you tell them. And secondly, they don't give you anything more. It's almost irritating. Like, Yeah, I already know that. Do you have anything new for me? And they're like, no, mm-hmm. I don't have any. So you, it's. it's. It's a matter of not so much pulling away, but changing some of those boundaries Mm. as to what are we expecting from each other. And again, if you've been really close, that can be a real problem. Some Mm. of the most intense arguments I've had in families start with, that recognition that I don't think we can get each other to agree on this anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's scary for both people, where we used to be able to talk things through and kind of have an agreement. It's a normal thing to have to learn to agree to disagree, which is probably the most practical thing I would suggest Mm -hmm. is learning how to say, well, I don't think we're on the same page with this. And I don't think I need to hammer you into it. And I'd rather you not hammer me into it. Let's just let that go. But that's hard to do. Mm -hmm. Do we have another question?
2: Um, Dr. Kim, thank you. A lot of that was really cool to hear. Uh, My name is Alante. I'm from Louisiana. Uh, What do you think about homeschool parents who own a lot of those territories that kids interact with every day?
3: That's a really good question. (laughs) Uh, I think it's particularly a challenge for homeschool parents because sometimes homeschool kids don't push as hard. So I think it's especially important that uh, homeschool parents uh, really initiate the conversation Uh, And sometimes even saying, hey, you know, you don't really need to ask us that. That's up to you now, which is weird and stunning for teenagers to hear from a parent. Uh, So I think it's particularly a challenge because sometimes with homeschool parents, they can actually hold on longer uh, than they really should without as much pushback. And that's not as uh, much a blessing as it seems. Ken, how does that conversation go between husband and wife? I think uh, very often between a mother and a father, uh, it's very common that feeding the mouth that bites you principles kind of make sense to dads. It's not – I can't tell you how many times I'm sitting in my office with a mom who has pretty much run the parenting show for 13, 14 years, and silent dad, I'm in the midst of explaining, and he goes, well, honey, what he's saying is – and she looks at him (laughs) like, who are you to all of a sudden start – You know, but he kind of gets it. Yeah, yeah. So it's really important that he be supportive of the fact that planned emancipation can feel wrong. It feels unloving to nurturing moms to step back and let go. Mm. And so she has a serious pushback, and it's not good enough for him to simply yell, well, that's what the doctor said. Uh, what's usually involved is lots of uh, dinners, lots of romantic times to remind her, This is listen, once these kids are gone, it's back to the, the good stuff before we got into all this mess <laughs> and to encourage her that we've got a future. So it's a very important conversation yeah. that happens. You're mm-hmm. right. That's a great question. Thank you.
1: All right, Dr. Ken, this has been a great discussion. We have more next time. Uh, we want to hold you over and continue for day two. And uh, I think every parent should get a copy of your book, Feeding the Mouth That Bites You, um, because I, I resonate with the message, if I could be that blunt. I think you're on it biblically in every way. I think we uh, really hurt and harm our teenagers by keeping them in this perpetual adolescence and let us make all the decisions because we're older and wiser. It just doesn't work. Um, this book, Feeding the Mouth That Bites You, is one of those wonderful resources. Thank you for being with us on Focus on the Family. It's
3: great to be here. Thank you.
0: Well, do make plans to join us next time. And uh, meanwhile, if you want to get a copy of Dr. Wilgus's book, just make a monthly pledge of any amount or a one-time gift to Focus on the Family today, and we'll send that out to you. Uh, that'll be our way of saying thank you for uh, partnering with us to equip parents and to strengthen families like yours, as I hope we've done today. The number to call is 800-the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459. Or you can donate and get the book at focusonthefamily.com broadcast. And John, I want to take a moment just to remind our listeners why a monthly
1: pledge is so valuable to the work we're doing here to help families. Every year, Focus on the Family is contacted by literally hundreds of thousands of people, which is great. They're looking for resources and practical help for issues in their marriage, parenting, or in their faith journey. About 2,000 a month are going to tap our counseling staff to Mm -hmm. get deeper insights that they need at that moment. Your ongoing support allows us to respond to all these needs and produce the radio programs and podcasts like this one and provide those free counseling services and so much more.
0: Yeah, and this is such a terrific ministry, Jim, that you and I are not only employees, we're donors as well. Yeah, there you we, go. We, we donate monthly, and you do too. That's right. And
1: if a monthly pledge is more than you can afford, we get it. A one-time gift will also help. Uh, let's work together, that's the bottom line, to share the gospel and strengthen families
0: today. Donate today at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast, or when you call 800-the-letter-A-and-the-word-FAMILY. We'll hear more from Dr. Wilgus next time about planned emancipation. And uh, for now, on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller, inviting you back next time as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program for your family. Stay tuned.
4: What is building up your teen girl's belief system?
2: And that's the main thing, actually, that I've gotten from the Brio Magazine since I've gotten them, is just how to stay strong in your faith and how to just every day rely on God for everything, even if you're having a wonderfully good day or just an absolute terrible
4: one. Discover how Brio Magazine can capture the heart and faith of your teen girl at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash radio.
0: Today on Focus on the Family, we'll examine that inevitable day in the life of every parent when childhood ends and your young adult is ready to begin life on their own. And hopefully, your transition won't go like this.
4: Dad... We need to talk.
0: Sure, honey. What's up? Want to use the car and need a few bucks? No, no. Guess...
4: Listen, Dad. I really think the time has come for me to move out of the house.
1: Honey, why? This is so sudden.
4: Dad, I'm 35 years old.
1: What? All 35-year-old girls need to move out of their parents' houses? I thought you liked it here. I'd miss my little girl.
4: I'm not your little girl anymore, Dad. I've been married for seven years.
1: I know, I know. And we love Bob. Bill. Bill. Your mother and I think the world of Bill. Don't we think the world of Bill, honey? Bill who?
4: Listen, Dad, I'm getting older. It's time that I led my own life, to give my family an identity of its own. Why?
0: As ridiculous as that sounds, parents of teens often experience some tension as the high school graduation looms and you may be wondering, is my son or my daughter ready? Will they launch? Will they launch well? We're going to address those issues and more today on our program. And your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. I'm John Fuller.
1: John, I think way down deep, we don't think they're ever ready, right? <laughs> <laughs> if we're really truthful. Yeah. Uh, but we did feature an excellent conversation last time with Dr. Ken Wilgus. He's a psychologist who has a lot of expertise in this area of adolescent behavior. In fact. Uh, Gene and I contacted him when we were struggling with something with one of the boys. Uh, he has described a novel approach to some of the common challenges that parents and teens can face during that transition period. I would say he's the expert. Mm bottom line is it's so good to think about this topic before it hits you right especially if your kids are just stepping into their teen years Uh, you want to prepare now so that transition can go more smoothly later and we've got more great advice from dr ken on
0: today's program and if you missed the show last time get an audio download of the conversation or check out the previous episode on youtube or spotify or our app and uh, we mentioned Dr. Wilgus has a book. It's called Feeding the Mouth That Bites You: A Complete Guide to Parenting Adolescents and Launching Them into the World. Learn more about that and our guest when you call 800 A Family or stop by focusonthefamily.com/broadcast. And here's Jim now with part 2 of our conversation uh, with Dr. Ken Wilgus on Focus on the Family.
1: Ken, welcome back. Hey, thanks. Okay, I'm serious. You're an expert in adolescence. You can actually attain experthood in uh, there teenagers. There is such a thing. Yes, there <laughs> is. That's the position of envy for
3: all parents. Yeah, you I, really understand how these young people think. You know, I actually tried to get away from one of <laughs> adolescents when I started, but there was just a logic to it that I couldn't ignore. Let me ask you that. You know, often
1: I think, why did my dentist want to become a dentist? <laughs> Why did you want to do this?
3: Well, I was trying to work with adults, but when you're a male in psychology training, like in Chicago, I worked at Michael Reese Medical Center, and uh, if they had they had an intensive adolescent unit, and man, you got to have a guy in that unit because it can be intense. So I ended up getting thrown in there. This is how the Lord works, you know. I'm complaining that oh no, that's not what I want to do, but I remember sitting in group with parents that would, you know be essentially uh, patronizing their teenagers and talking to them. And I could just tell that this was really hard on that teenager. So it turned out I had an ear for it. Essentially, never really quite grew up from my own adolescence, I suppose. So
1: if you, you know, coming off of what we talked about last time, and we've said it already two or three times, if you missed it, get it because the content was so good. If you're looking at one silver bullet, I know this is a very unfair question, but for the parent that has been, as you described last time, that typical Christian parent, very engaged, very parental maybe up until 16 17 18 years old where decisions were really with you and not with that uh, growing adolescent what is something i could do to reverse course to say okay i have blown it what i heard today on focus on the family really challenges me because i've been so over engaged so decision-oriented for
3: my 17-year-old? What can I do? Okay, that is an unfair question. But (laughs) I do think that that's, again, it starts with our faith, knowing that we don't blow stuff. Jesus is never going, oh, no, this is too much of a mess for me now. So I think starting with that kind of conversation, but it is a conversation with your teenager. And I would think the conversation needs to be about your own fear as a parent, what you had tried to do, but really taking responsibility for the possibility that what we've communicated to you as our son or as our daughter, that we might have ended up communicating that we don't respect your own ability to do stuff. And if we've done that, we really want to let you know we're sorry about that. Make sure you let them know that you've prayed about this, and that's why you feel the freedom to tell them that. Because again, teenagers are all eyes and ears, and they can tell that what we teach about our faith, whether it really impacts our behavior or not. And nothing teaches teenagers that the Christian faith is not real quite like a parent that is freaking out over everything that they do.
1: Is it ever too late? For the restart button? I mean, if they're
3: 23, 24? No, I, mean, I don't think so. I think, again, if you count the restart button as, let's talk about what I may have signaled to you as disrespect. Because yeah. you can definitely, I know adults that are, you know, 50s and they, with their own adult parents that are still trying to yeah. teach and control and manage. And that can be tense. So there's, it's never too late for that conversation. Well, and the
1: interesting thing is healing that relationship is what God would want. I mean, fundamentally, whether your child is 30 or 40, if you haven't had that healing in that relationship, that is what the Lord's after, is that you have that good communication. Um, We did talk about emancipation, how to emancipate your teen. We got into that right at the end of the program last time. Let's pick it up there. Uh, You introduced us to that concept of planned emancipation. Uh, you described it as a strategy where parents can um, help their teenagers right around starting at age 13 or so to make the transition from childhood to adulthood. Uh, For those who missed the conversation, give us that quick summary of planned emancipation, how it works.
3: Planned emancipation is getting ahead of the adolescent's primary need. You need to know when and how you're going to arrive as an adult, and here's the answer to that. And it is a parent's Basically, roadmap from wherever you start to the end, which for the vast majority of parents, the end is the end of high school, pretty much. Uh, you need to be prepared for them to pretty much be making their own decisions by the time they've finished. High school, yeah. But the step to do that is, I I suggest you make a freedoms list, which is actually on a sheet of paper. Left-hand side is a list of freedoms that, not privilege, will let you stay out a little later. Will let you. It's freedoms that say um, we think you should use your own judgment in the following areas. And there's a on the left side of the paper should be freedoms. Like in our house at thirteen, you got the freedom to uh, listen to whatever music you felt you needed to. Uh, You could keep your own room as clean or dirty as you see fit. That always freaks mothers out, I've gotten literally photos of, do you mean this room? (laughs) Well, and so if they choose to have it dirty, is that okay? Well, again, it comes down to uh, with freedom always comes responsibility. And responsibility means, and here's the washer, here's the dryer. You don't want us wandering in taking care of your clothes for you. And then otherwise you handle it like you would an apartment. Like if there's a smell coming out of your room, you're going to have to do something about that and pay for that. And um, if there's uh, food in your uh, room, you can have that as long as you can afford an exterminator. But if you can't, we're going to fine you for any... So basically, there's a fine. big difference. I like this. Uh, you now know, we're like, going a good direction. It costs you money. Um, and, <laughs> 20 and bucks? Uh, with freedom, uh, that may be high. I don't know. It depends on kind of how you want to do it. I did have a couple whose son makes quite a bit of money, and they're charging 10 bucks for a cup or a glass. So depends on <laughs> a your cup kid. cup or a glass? And everything left in the room. I'm starting Absolutely. to like this emancipation you know, idea mean, I mean, money. <laughs> it scares me that you get all excited about the restrictive part. Well, I'm but, just
1: thinking of how many dirty dishes are around the house. Well, there's
3: a big difference between... Saying that your freedom We want you to have freedom Versus uh, your freedom Shouldn't mess with us It should I, not cause us a problem Yeah I might be able to make 200 bucks tonight
0: <laughs> <laughs> What's the balance there, Ken Between your freedom As a teen And my um, home and your responsibility in that.
3: Well, most teenagers understand that. For example, the difference between saying you can't keep your room this way because cleanliness is next to godliness, they're tired of hearing that. Besides, I've looked it up in the dictionary, and goggles is next to godliness. It's not actually cleanliness. But um, secondly, to say, but listen, you're we don't want to mess with you, but this or that thing in your room is causing us problems, like the bugs, perhaps, all that. Most teenagers get that, and they're much more willing to cooperate, or at least least. understand that but that doesn't mean they'll always do it and then you get to the next part which is setting uh, expectations and restrictions and parents really should not have uh, hesitation in pulling the strings they need to to expect uh, the minimum respect that you need to give us Mm. which in this case is a fine if you uh, refuse to you know follow the rule about food in your room, things like that.
1: So that's all laid out, so it's understood. Oh, it's all laid I love there. these concepts. In your book, Feeding the Mouth That Bites You, you lay these out so well. Let me go a little deeper philosophically, because you uh, talk about the importance that parents need to understand this idea to trade control for influence. Yes. Okay, that's a panic button for
3: many parents. Mm-hmm. You know, control is the tool I have, Dr. Right. Ken. Again, it's a matter of recognizing that from 13 to the end of high school, you are having, whether you want to or not, you are having less and less control. And it's a matter of recognizing it. It's really embarrassing to sit in an office with a teenager and their parent who proudly announces that, well, in our house, you know, we keep track. We know what she's doing, where she's going. She looks at me, and I look at her, because just last week, she and I talked about a number of things her parents don't know about. So they just look silly to pretend like I have mm. a, a kind of control that I really don't have. Yeah. So it's really not giving up as much as you think to acknowledge that freedom for what is, again, so commonly not there, which is real influence. Yeah. A, a relational communication influence that says, listen, I'm I'm not here to tell you how to keep your room anymore, but can I just ask you— this is really depressing in here, which is almost a conversation I had with my son one time who asked me twice. This is Mr. ADD boy who really he's living in regular life. We do hard, <laughs> we do hard launches in our family. They're gone. <laughs> yeah, um, yes. But my son and his wife and the two kids, it, you know, w- there was some points where his room got pretty bad. And twice he asked me, could you come help me clean my room? So I was like, sure. Now, in all fairness, it lasted about 15 minutes. He got too ashamed with my questions of how long have you had this out here? He was like, never mind, never mind. So we stopped. But, you know, he had much more ability to talk to me about that than he would have if we had done that Mm -hmm. usual yelling thing that goes on for years Mm -hmm. just to try to get a clean room. And then if you visit any freshman dorm in this country, you'll see that, um, you know, that it's not exactly working. <laughs> right, no. But the irony is we keep coming back to the same methodology. Yes, yeah, exactly, which is the most common problem of parents using childhood parenting techniques with teenagers, and it just doesn't work. Uh, Ken, in
1: your book, you mention the need for teenagers to feel grown up. Uh, but it's a desperate need is the word you used actually yeah I don't think parents connect with this what is this desperate need to feel grown up and then how does that express itself in unhealthy ways
3: and then in healthy ways Well, that's a good question because the primary need of teenagers is what we call individuation which is essentially do the people that I know see that I'm grown up are they um, am I going to arrive at adulthood and if they're not getting it in healthy ways from their parents then it's very common for teenagers to seek it in unhealthy ways. For example, one of the most common answers to the question of teenagers, why do you drink alcohol, is to feel grown up, is part of that. So teenagers will go and do the thing that seems grown up, as if pouring alcohol down your throat makes you somehow an adult. But it at least has that feel to it, because again, in some cases, overprotected teenagers feel like, I need some way to feel that adultness. And what we want to provide as parents is that ability that you can grow up here in our house you don't have to just get away
0: this focus on the family broadcast will continue in just a moment
4: what's the best thing you could leave behind i don't know habits maybe
0: I'd like to leave behind broccoli.
4: One of the best things you could leave behind is a legacy. Focus on the family invites you to leave a legacy gift in your estate plan. It can reduce the burden of taxes on your family and it will make a better legacy for families around the world. To find out more or to notify us of a legacy gift, just visit focusplannedgiving.com. That's focusplannedgiving.com.
0: Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. I'm
1: reminded of so often you talk about the pastor's kids, the pastor's daughter, the pastor's son. They oftentimes can be those kids that are doing those destructive behaviors uh, disproportionately to others. Explain why, and I think this fits in with this
3: area of identity. I think you're right. Because they're seen, they're kind of in this fishbowl. This fishbowl, and I've talked with a lot of pastor's kids about that very thing, that it's extra difficult for a pastor, because of what can be seen as the expectations of everyone else, that they expect this... Pastor child, no matter what the age, to be a sort of goody goody essentially, and uh, there's nothing wrong with choosing moral good behavior unless that seems to um, advertise that I can't think things through and I'm really about a six year old even though I'm seventeen or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's critical that they be given the kind of uh, messages, particularly. Uh, from their parents, that despite what you may think other people are looking at in the church, we want you to own more and more of your own life and it can be hard a lot of times you have to push back against again since it 's a cultural confusion, you can hear really well meaning people say, "Well, but shouldn 't you if they 're not ready after that senior year, maybe you should keep them home for a year as if you can keep them home for a year right. or if that 's going to be somehow good for them, so you have to push back even against well meaning people giving you advice. Well, and I think that's the underlying issue here. And you've hit
1: it well in feeding the mouth that bites you is that relinquishing of your fear and your control. It seems counterintuitive because really you want does. to protect, you want, they're not ready yet. You know, just like the opening, you know, 35 and still at home. That. Um, and mm-hmm. some parents, I'm afraid to say, might find that comforting to them. So we're actually using that
3: relationship to soothe our own fears. And I want to be real clear. I mean, fear is part of the air that I live and breathe. I mean, I'm, it's hard. I don't expect parents to not be fearful. Right. But what I it's think natural. is hard is that it can be sometimes lifted up as almost a virtue. That um, a parent that is letting go is the one that really doesn't care as much or yeah. or isn't informed. If you knew what I knew about the suicide rate, you wouldn't allow these. Whatever it, right. that, that. So fear masquerades as uh, authority as uh, some more uh, passionate, and that's the part that I think has to be pushed yeah. back against.
1: You say that teens want freedom, but they also want their parents to give them that
3: freedom. That's right. Why is that distinction so important? I'll for always us? remember it. We had an adolescent day hospital. There was a, And we're having a group therapy of teenagers, which you can imagine is filled with a lot of, my parents don't get what I'm going, they don't let me, you know. And there was this one really depressed girl. I think she was about 15. And um, she finally looked up and she said, you know, I have everything you guys wish for. Um, I wish someone would ask if I'm coming in at night, but her family had pretty much exploded. There was not... Uh, it, so it was she a desired divorce. it. She had the freedom, but she did not have the message from someone who cared, it's time for you to have this freedom. Yeah. And it's really important because parents will say, hey, we, Dr. Wilkes, we do fine until we say no. He just wants us to leave him alone. That's not exactly true. Yeah. Um, what she wants to hear is, why are you still telling me what movie to go to, why are you still telling me when to come in, what parties to go to, all those things. They want to hear from their parent, hey, it's now time, you're 37, it's time, you know, whatever the point that you can really give that real answer, that it's time for you to make that decision yourself. Talk about communication
1: challenges with your teens. This seems to be the one in our household. I don't know if you've struggled with this, John. It's like, hey, did you have a great day at school? Yeah. Hey, what do you want for dinner? Eh, Anything.
3: Which can happen overnight. It's like (laughs) I thought we were talking just last week and now.
1: Yeah, it used to be Q&A all the time. Hey, look at that dog, Dad. Isn't that a cute dog? I'd like a dog like that, Dad. Can I take that dog home, (laughs) Dad? No, that was years ago. (laughs) (laughs) To where you want a dog?
3: Yeah, okay. So what's what's happening there with communication? Most of the time time it's a control battle. You have a young adult Mm -hmm. who feels like instead of your questions being good-natured, you're a cop. (laughs) Asking, how was your day? Let me just Uh, check and see if there's anything I need to intervene and check in. And so unless you make that really clear, like, why am I asking this? Uh, What are my purposes? Which is really about planned emancipation, stepping back and saying, listen, at your age, you don't really have to talk to me about these things. I miss us talking together. And I'd like to know but you don't have to answer all these things if you don't want to, can very often pretty quickly open up a lot more communication.
1: So you're saying, too, in the book that teenagers really want to communicate. It doesn't feel that way for a parent so often.
3: It's really true. And if being a psychologist is a rare opportunity to get to talk to teenagers when you can really be open. And it's not unusual for parents to assume that their teenager does not want to. They really do if they can trust what they say. To their parents.
1: Well, and that's the key question. How do you create that bedrock of trust that it's not going to be the lecture, it's not going to be the ticket from the policeman, it's going to be a conversation? And then how? what kind of triggers do you use as a parent not to fall into that trap of the lecture?
3: Well, I think that's a hard task. I think it starts by really recognizing you have a young adult. It's really recognizing that they are thinking for themselves. And sometimes it means taking ownership of what you've done before and recognizing that, listen, I'm sorry yesterday I blew up again just because you said that you didn't do well on a test. I'm really trying to back off from that. That's not about you. That's about me. Taking ownership of that and then pursuing forward with really uh, what the teenager really is wanting to talk about and really listening to what are the things that are important to your teenager and trying to process that uh, Mm -hmm. with them. And so taking ownership is important, but also respecting and recognizing the uh, stage of development that your teenager is in you know uh, one thing
1: that people need to walk away with is this idea to agree to disagree especially for teenagers with their parents because again parents especially christian parents we want this alignment we really value alignment that's right our house we even have rules you know our household believes So if you don't believe that rule, you're not part of the household. That's what we communicate. And uh, why do we need to develop that ability to agree
3: to disagree, especially as a parent with a teenager and vice versa? Because families that are really close – Especially have the hardest time with this because in the past we've had as you mentioned kind of group think we're all sort of It's great that we all kind of like the same things We're about the same things and we're used to being able to talk to this one child or more that doesn't seem to quite get it We explain and then they're back in line By the time they become an adolescent nothing's bad has happened, but they've changed formal operational thought is actually a real thing in Cognitive development where teenagers can and need to think for themselves yeah. and the goal of learning to agree to disagree is critical in being able to really process through where you differ uh, where we differ and so that you can avoid what is very often some pretty severe uh, arguments that simply start with the goal of wait honey i don't think you understand let me repeat this thing again let me show you an article let me just this thing and the next thing you know you're a normal parent and you are screaming uh, or almost literally getting physical because you're scared to death that I can't seem to get this point across like we always used to. And it's simply a matter of learning that it's okay. We need to agree to disagree.
1: You and your son had a good example of this. What happened with your son? Well,
3: it was actually the point that I really knew he was a teenager. And this is what's (laughs) so rough. You know, it's hard on my, my children have worked out well. They're good kids, but I'll be honest, they were not bad kids to start with. They were not that hard, but my son was 13, and he went to mow the lawn, and uh, he came in, done, and I said, well, no, there's this other part back there that I told you you need to do also. He said, no, you didn't tell me that. I said, yeah, I did. And so he you know, he's a decent kid. He walked out. But instead of going to get on the mower, I looked out the window, and he is pacing and talking to himself. And he comes back in. He'd never done this before. He said, Dad, you did not tell me to do that. We agreed upon and I, and I remember suddenly realizing that, I can't talk him into stuff like I used to. <laughs> right. This is the weird part. And I realized that I said, we're just going to have to agree to disagree. And this is what's so weird about being a shrink. I started to choke up because I got tearful because I knew this is my adolescence. He's my oldest. So now we're in adolescent stage. Well, you can imagine my kid is going you okay, Dad? Is it's just lawn. Lawnmower. What's your problem? <laughs> just it's, the lawn. It's, Come on. You need to pray for my poor kids. But <laughs> but it, it was a real moment of recognition that you know his thinking had changed and he really could think for himself and he fully his experience was way different from mine and I needed to accept that even though. The end of the story is I did say, look, I think I told you, and if you don't, there'll be this consequence for it. So it didn't work out great for him, but we didn't get into a big argument either. Yeah. Ken, I'm thinking of the parent that
1: has the 24, 25-year-old. And uh, in that case, they did overmanage. It didn't go well. It kind of that Josh McDowell statement, uh, you know, rules without relationship and rebellion. and rebellion. And that's been the story in this hypothetical case that I'm painting. How does a parent reach back to that adult child now and say, hey, we've got some things we got to talk about? What can they do that makes it real, makes it beneficial, doesn't turn into another lecture opportunity.
3: That's a great question. And this may surprise you, but if reaching out to that 24-year-old means walking down to your own basement and getting them out of there, because that's where they are, then there's a first step that needs to be taken anyway, which is you need to set a point where you're going to let them know, this is it. You're going to be out of here, not in, immediately, but you need to set a point where you let them know it's respectful to let a young adult know that you're not welcome to live here No, you know, without uh, limits. Um, But outside of that, then I think the other part is to address that, you know, and we're worried that we have given you the wrong message, that what we've tried to be is loving and caring. But I think we've communicated that we don't respect your ability to make your own decisions about things Mm -hmm. and really take ownership of that. It's not an overnight decision. It's not an uh, after school special where they start weeping and we end up hugging. But it is a starting point that I think is important to let them know that uh, we are now going to stop just thinking about giving you sort of a loving kindness. We're going to give you
0: respect. Well, with that, we come to the close of a two-day conversation with Dr. Ken Wilgus, who has been addressing some really important principles from his book. Uh, that's called Feeding the Mouth That Bites You, A Complete Guide to Parenting Adolescents and launching them into the world. This is such an important topic for families today because we hear from
1: so many of you who are struggling with that transition from childhood to adulthood. And we recognize that can be a challenging phase for your family. Uh, Guess what? Our families too. Maybe it's hard for you to let go and let your teen or young adult make their own decisions, even decisions that you don't agree with. Or maybe your adult child is still living at home for financial reasons and you're trying to navigate new boundaries in your relationship. Or perhaps you're dealing with a prodigal situation. Whatever your situation may be, please know that we are here for you at Focus on the Family. We have resources that can help you, including our team of Caring Christian Counselors, and we'd be Really happy to connect you with them so you can talk and and really discuss what options are there. We also have copies of Dr. Ken's book, Feeding the Mouth That Bites You. I love that title. Mm -hmm. I smile every time I say it. When you make a monthly pledge of any amount of focus, we'll put a copy into your hands as our way of saying thank you for joining us in the ministry, and you're getting a great resource. I think it's
0: a win-win. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you, and a monthly pledge is a great way to help strengthen marriages and empower parents and rescue preborn babies and so much more. But if that's more than you can afford right now, a one-time gift is also beneficial. So please donate today, get the book, and ask to speak with one of our counselors, if that would be helpful, when you call 800-the letter A and the word family, 800-232-6459, or you can visit focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast.